Michigan unbeaten no more. Piling on now is Iowa as they crack the 50 mark against the mighty Buckeyes. But when his number was called, seven got six. What's up and welcome to Spoko Radio presented by Blackheart Gold Pants SB Nation's community for the Iowa Hawkeyes. I'm your host DC and the three best friends are back all together again. I'm joined as always by Jerry Sherwin. Jerry, how you doing? We're back for the first time in 2020 and boy does it feel right. It feels right. It feels good. Also with us, it's the people's champ, David Johnson. Champ. How was your trip to Evanston to watch the Iowa men's basketball team beat Northwestern on Tuesday night? It was a lovely experience at new uh, and improved Well Shrine Arena. I really liked the arena. It was it was you know a smaller, compact arena. I think it only seats like four or five thousand fans, but it was nice. The last time I was there was when I graduated high school in that gym, which was. 14 years ago 15 years ago at this point so God, it's, we're old. it's been a while but yeah it was nice uh the only part i didn't like was uh the dipshit that was sitting in the section <laughs> over for me that was screaming at luca and pemzel the entire second half but luca got sweet redemption on that individual by blowing him a nice kiss after uh about nine or ten straight points from luca and about four possessions it was wonderful he gave him the keith duncan treatment yeah. Guys, reminder to subscribe to the show wherever wherever you guys get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at BHGP, at Shy People's Champ, at Jerry Sherwin, and at Dave Cray. Make sure you're sharing the show with your friends. Tell tell a friend to tell a friend. Have them subscribe. Let them know to follow us on Twitter. We love talking to all the Hawkeye fans out there. Uh, guys, we'll kick the show off with a little bit of football before we dive fully into basketball as we uh, turn the page here on, into the full thick of basketball season. But we finally have what seems to be the final list of guys leaving the football program early. You've got Geno Stone, you've got uh, Trist, uh, Tristan Wirfs, AJ Epinesa, and Torin Young. All, all declaring that they are, are leaving the program. Torin was a little bit up in the air if whether or not it's actually for the draft or if he's just graduating and, and leaving and no longer playing football. But uh, those are the guys leaving. My question to you guys kick the show off is how do the official announcements all impact your thought, your feelings going into the 2020 football season? Jerry, we'll start with you. It, it really doesn't change anything at all. I, I, in the last couple of weeks, I've really sold myself on the 2020-2021 Iowa Hawkeye football team. Now, I understand that Iowa's losing a senior quarterback, and I understand that they're losing their best pass rusher. Geno Stone hurts, but let's like of all the positions to lose, losing Geno Stone with what Phil Parker has currently in the stable – I think isn't that big of a key factor. AJ Epinesa, for all the things that he was able to do, he's a great Hawkeye. I think there's some guys in line that should be expected to have a big season. Now, outside of that, Tristan Wirfs, again, we know what he was. We know that what he was able to do on the line. But Kirk Ferentz, Brian Ferentz should be able to go ahead and put somebody in that position that's not going to like fill in for Tristan Wirfs, but be able to at least do the job on the uh, as the right tackle. I really do believe that Iowa, and this is already setting myself up for failure, but Iowa with Spencer Petras is a 10-win football team next year and possibly better, and it's not even close to the summer. He's. It's not even May, and Jer's already got t- 10 wins. It's only going to go up from here. Come July, come August, Jer- Jer's going to be preaching undefeated season, I think. Champ, where are you at now with these with these departures official? Uh, the only there was two guys that we all thought Tristan Wirfs and AJ Epinesa that were leaving. Those were no surprises. Uh, Torin Young is a shocker to me. I have no idea why he's leaving. I don't think he's going to get drafted. Uh, we mentioned a little before the show, maybe he changes into a fullback. I, maybe that's the only way he gets drafted. XFL, maybe? Yeah, It makes no sense to me. I don't know why he wouldn't come back. I understand Goodson is you know, probably going to get the lion's share of carries next year, but Torn Young right. ha- had a niche for this team, so I think that's going to hurt a little bit. You know, He's kind of your short yardage guy. You can pound him for a possession or two in a game. That may hurt a little bit. I don't think it's a huge loss. Uh, Geno Stone... We, me and DC talked about it a little bit last week. 
I think Phil Parker is going to be able to find a guy to step in for Geno. So that's not a huge loss for me. It was a little bit surprising as well. But I'm not quite the, as optimistic as Jerry is with already proclaiming they're going to win 10, maybe more games next year. The schedule is very difficult. Losing your senior quarterback is going to be more of a loss than a lot of people think. I know Nate Stanley wasn't as consistent and as great in big games as we wanted him to be, but I think we're going to miss him next year, and I think there's going to be some growing pains with Spencer Petras. That's normal for a guy who hasn't literally seen a football football field for regular action in two-plus seasons. So there's going to be some rust. We're going to have to expect that. So going into next year, I think they're going to be a good team, but I don't think – 10 or 11 wins is attainable for next year's unit. And and I think I'm I'm with you champ more than I am with Jerry. I I do think the guys leaving they they had more of an impact than just what they did on the field. I think off the field from a leadership standpoint, from a character standpoint, from uh just setting the right example that those guys having to replace them is a lot easier said than actually being done. I know on, from an on-field perspective production standpoint, Jerry, we talked about it again last week, you brought it up just now, Phil Parker can find somebody to do what Geno Stone does on the f- football field. Same thing with Tristan Wirfs, he's a great, great player, top 10 potential first-round first, uh, first round pick, um, And but I mean, at the same time, it's Iowa, we, we find offensive linemen at, at, around any corner. Um so I'm, I'm or at the just, local come and go, like Brian said earlier in that, the season. That too, and so to me, but it, to me, it's just the type of guys they have to replace. And I think a lot of times in these difference-making Iowa seasons, it's this team is just a very like so, solid unit, <clears throat> and that comes a lot, I think, from a lot from the character that some of these guys are. And I think you got to find a way to replace that, which is going to be a little bit more difficult. I agree with you, and I get that. But at the same token, Iowa is still returning 13 players that started this year. Like, that is a lot of talent to be bringing back. I understand it's not the senior quarterback, and I understand it's not your right tackle that literally just obliterates anything that's in front of him. But, like, it's not like it's just all of a sudden we're going to completely dismiss, like, the, the class is leaving. There's a lot of guys with a lot of talent on that football field. Amir Smith-Marset and Tyler Goodson are game breakers. Sam Laporta is going to take another step. That line with Alaric Jackson and Linderbaum, like, those are the same type of guys that, like, are going to be those next leaders. And I think that they learned, like you said, D.C., right behind Tristan Wirfs, right behind A.J. Epinesa, and those guys are going to be the next ones to actually come in and, and, do, and be those next guys. There is really solid talent here, and I've been saying it on Twitter. I've said it a couple times on this podcast, but the next eight years of this Iowa program should be the best in the Kirk Ferentz era. I mean, I don't disagree at all, but I think we've we've seen this time and time again from 2009 to 2010. I mean, that's the perfect example of having as so much talent returning and having some key guys leave who on the field but also their contributions off the field and what it can do to the locker room. Yeah, no, for sure. It's underrated. That's a, it's, I mean, the locker room aspect, losing these guys, is definitely underrated, and it's, it may hurt. I mean, Nate Stanley has been the voice of that offense for pretty much the last three years, and without him, I mean, Spencer hopefully is going to be able to step in, but it's not going to be the same. He doesn't, he, have will. The on, he doesn't have the on-field experience, though, let's be honest. And the f- f- funniest thing that Jerry said was the next eight years in the Kirk Ferentz era, are we – Breaking news that you think Kirk is going to be under, be the head coach for the next eight Iowa seasons? Uh, I mean, I just okay. Maybe I should have just said Ferentz era. I'll, t- I'll eliminate the Kirk and I'll just go in the Ferentz era. That's probably more realistic because I think I mean, Kirk's got another three, four years, and then Brian's going to take over. Yeah, champ, you're fully on the Brian Ferentz bandwagon now. I am. Yeah, he is. Yeah, Jer wasn't even out with us last week, and I was just <laughs> drinking the Kool Aid. I loved it. Can I? Okay, real quick though, going to the schedule thing. I know we want to get to basketball, but I'm sorry. Like football is always on my mind. <laughs> the schedule isn't that hard. It's not easy, bro. 
yeah, but like, okay, neither was this year's. And if Iowa gets a little bit luckier this time around or learns how to score 26 points per game, all of a sudden that hard schedule they had this year, maybe that turns over and it's all of a sudden Iowa's talking about Big Ten Championship and maybe playoff again. Just, like this isn't just, out of the realm of possibility. Let's not forget that there's one major team that's on next year's schedule that wasn't on this year's, and that's the But Ohio they don't mean State. anything towards the West. We get to beat Minnesota early. But you Great. always say that. It still means something it's in your still a conference Big game. Ten record. We went over this this year when we lost to Penn State, and you said it didn't mean anything because it's not in the West. It means something. I mean, if we beat Penn State, we might be in in the Big Ten championship this year. So every Big Ten game matters. It doesn't matter if it's in your side of the conference or not. I more so meant that that one game doesn't matter. Okay, that's acceptable. It does, but though. I think it still matters because I think, as we've seen, this is the best five-year stretch in Iowa football from a wins perspective, and they're still behind Wisconsin. Yep. Uh, so great. Every game Again, matters. I, if, I, if, totally. If, you'll never hear me say another word about that. But you know what's different this year? You get that? to have the Badgers come home as the last game of the season. So you get to build up all the way to the end of the season, which is what we've been clamoring for this entire year. Just Everything the, just leads to Wisconsin. Out. Well, <laughs> at least we'll have the opportunity to have our hearts ripped out in the last week instead of three weeks before. Yeah, if we get it to that last game, I'll be happy. It'll mean We will. Something. This schedule's not that bad. Peaches is going to be a gem. I mean, just it's like it's a very body blow centric schedule because I think the teams individually aren't that aren't daunting, but a, a week two matchup versus your in state rival, a week three short week going up to your rival, going to Columbus, going to uh, having Penn State back to back with Michigan State, who although down, are still going to be a tough team, and then you have Wisconsin at the end of the season now too in Nebraska for all circling this game because it is a rivalry game now. Who knows? Maybe with Sandusky Gate, that Penn State game all of a sudden isn't so bad. I mean, you, you never know. It could be. But to me, I think the schedule is a lot harder than you're willing to admit right now, Jerry. I Ten agree. and two, book it. Pretty soon it'll be 12 and 0. Give them, give it time, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. It'll get to 12 and 0 before the next season kicks off. When we're in the middle of baseball season and Jared needs something to look forward to, it'll be nope. uh, all it'll in be the White Sox train, undefeated baby. Iowa football season. <laughs> With the way the Bulls are playing, thank God the Hawkeyes are just keeping pressing me because I'd be in a basketball misery zone. <laughs> On that note, let's switch to a little bit of, of Iowa basketball. Uh, the boys went to Northwestern this week and uh, beat Northwestern on the road, something that's not easy to do in the Big Ten, apparently, as we're finding out. Um, Facts. So now the record currently stands at three and three in conference play. So that's 500 with a handful of games left to go. So we figured what better way to kind of talk about the rest of the season. We have a little bit of a sample size here than to talk down the ceilings and floors. Insert Michael Jordan. The ce- the floor is the ceiling drop right here. Uh, the rest of the season for these guys who are going to be playing. And what can this what can this Iowa season look like from a positive perspective if things go completely completely off the rails and what's kind of that most that more likely scenario so i'll let you guys pick who you guys want to kick off this with champ we'll start with you and who do you want to talk about first uh it would be easy to pick our best player but i'm gonna go the opposite route i'm gonna pick our uh, what i think is our worst player on the team and i i think we should go from worst to best in our opinion but i i will go with Cordell Pemsel to start off the year, to start off this activity. And his ceiling, I don't really see a lot because he's not very good. He, he, last night against Northwestern, he did have some nice entry passes in the second half of that game. So I'll give him that. He also had a lot of turnovers, as we talked about pre-show. He had a lot of passes that didn't make it to Luka Garza inside. Uh, for me, I don't see him as a guy who should be playing meaningful minutes. If you want to play him, you know, eight to ten minutes a game, basically because you have to because you you ran out of bodies this year, that's fine. I think the ceiling for him is like a f- averaging about five points, five rebounds. The, the floor is probably what he's averaging now, which is like two or three points and, you know, one or two rebounds. So I don't see him as a big-time player for this program. He shouldn't be getting, you know, more than 10 minutes a game. So, yeah, I, 
I would like to see him not play hardly at all the rest of the season. So, Jerry, I mean, what, where, where are you at with Cordell Pemsel right now? His ceiling is a warm body. I mean, hey, Iowa needs that kind of right now. And that's exactly why he's playing. Like, Champ, you're absolutely right. On a normal season, Cordell Pemsel would probably get his five-ish minutes. It'll probably be when Luca Garza and Ryan Crane are both in foul trouble. But currently, he has to play these 10 to 15, sometimes even I think it was close to 20 against Maryland. Like He has to play those types of minutes just because there's no warm bodies on the bench. Everybody's hurt, injured. They're getting, obviously, they got C.J. Frederick back, which was huge. But Cordell Pemsel, he's a foul mach- he'll be a foul machine. He'll go I mean, worst there. comes to worst, you can at least count on him for f- getting his five fouls because he's going to come in, and he's a, not a very good defender. He's going to bang with the big guys and foul them most likely. So worst comes to worst, you spread out some of those fouls from Creener and Garza. You bring, you know, Cordell in for some defensive, you know, plays. He's not a good defender, but he can at least foul guys and prevent them from getting layups. That's about you know what's kind of crazy in the last six games? He only has four fouls. Three of them came coming against Northwestern. So even when he goes out there, he's at least, like, taking up space. And I think that is the biggest compliment I could pay to him. Cordell, you probably aren't playing Division One basketball if this team is fully healthy. You're probably a MAC-type guy. But in the meantime, keep filling the position that you're in. And maybe once in a while, hit like a three. Keep making decent entry passes. Get some I boards. Do believe- he can rebound a little. He, had, I think against Penn State, he had like seven or eight rebounds. That was his season high. So maybe do that. That's a ceiling. Come in and get rebounds and kick it out to shooters. <laughs> hey, I mean, I'll take it. If, if these guys are hitting, hitting threes, you got somebody to get to tip those passes out there to, or hit the, keep, yeah. tip those boards to them. Got a spot. To, his his whole thing is being at the top of the key, and I, he's got four assists the last two games. Though him being at the top of the key and kind of initiating that offense, or at least just getting it down low to Luca Garza, for some reason he has gravity. Champ, you're right. That's the way he should be used. I totally agree. All right, Jared, who's next on your list? Um, well, in keeping faith with, um, see, this is tough. I this would go either way here. Who do you think is the second worst player that is currently a warm body? I'm gonna go. I'm actually gonna give some credit to the other guy. So I'm gonna go with Bakari Evelyn instead of Connor McCaffrey right now. Ooh, okay. So Bakari. He really kind of impressed me this this last game against Northwestern. He finally was able to actually hit some shots in in like big time crunch time, like we need you more than we've ever needed you before type moments, and that was huge. Played twenty seven minutes, was two for four from three. Like those are the types of things that we're going to need him to continuously do. He doesn't have to be perfect by any means, but when Connor's unable to. Connor's not going to shoot that many threes. We know that Joey Toussaint is just going to continue to go a million miles an hour and be a dog so that we need some sort of guard when he's out there to be able to be some sort of threat. So Luca is not getting beat up in the post. So his, his ceiling just needs to be the guy. He needs to be Keith Bogans. He needs to be the guy that hits one or two threes a game to just give us that six points. Cause that six points is going to be clutch and key down the big 10 stretch. I, I don't hate it. I, I love the, the, uh, Keith Bogan stat from the, from the Bulls from the Bulls <clears throat> era. Champ, what about you? What do you you think know, actually, I saw a lot last night of, with Macari Evelyn handling the ball in the second half. He he played point guard a lot of that second half when they took Connor out. Joey Toussaint didn't play hardly at all uh, in the second half last night, and Bakari was handling the ball pretty well. I think he finished with seven, yeah, seven assists last night for Bakari. That's, I mean. A game like last night, if he can do that, you know, one out of every, you know, three, four games, I think that's going to be huge. I know he had that big game at the United Center against Cincinnati. I think he scored like 20 points and hit like four or five threes in that game. That would be just an extreme bonus. But if he can give you, you know, eight to ten points and five, six assists, that's huge because he was feeding Luka last night. He was feeding the shooters, C.J. Frederick couple threes off uh, Bakari assists, and if he can do that, that's a, a, a thing that I don't think a lot of us expected him to be able to do, handling the ball like that. I mean, I, I think going, going back to our preview, because I, I had Bakari Evan for our movie quote mm-hmm. uh, episode, I thought he could be the kind of that capable guy, that that dist- like that distributor who can get the ball to Wieskamp, get the ball to Garza, be a prototypical point guard who's assist first, 
could hit a could hit a three if he was open if he needs to, and I think that's still his ceiling. I th- I still think, like I I don't think the United States game for Cincinnati is ever going to be replicated by him, but his ceiling is that guy who's going to just be that calming presence on the floor. It can bring the ball up, ball, handle the ball, keep everybody calm, get it to where it needs to go, and just kind of set that tone and set that pace for this team when they need it. Yeah, I think that's I, all you need for him. Totally. I just looked at it. So going in line with the Keith Bogan staff, for those of you that aren't Bulls fans, back in the day when the Bulls were good and they had a good coach in Tom Thibodeau, anytime Keith Bogan's hit 1-3, the Bulls had like a 92% uh, chance of winning that game. It was just like a statistical thing that if Keith Bogans went out there, hit a three, the Bulls were probably going to win. Of the Iowa Hawkeyes' five losses, only one of those games he hit a three. The rest of them he was over. This is like the equivalent of the Iowa football stat of every time they run for over 100 yards, they usually win. <laughs> yeah. The Bakari Evelyn 100-yard rusher stat. <laughs> All right, that's going to be our new uh, thing we're keeping track of. When Bakari <laughs> hits a three, we're going to win that game. Let's do All it, right. baby. Here's here's that going better than other things that we've tried to make make things on this podcast. Uh, all right, next up, I'll take Connor McCaffrey, uh, another guy I had in our preview episode, and the guy who has completely flipped my opinion, our opinion of him this year. He's been amazing for for this team this year, being that guy who's generating assists, getting getting the ball to where it needs to be. Having the ability to hit a three occasionally, it's not going to be consistent. It's not going to be pretty. But that, again, it's it's a better version of Bakari Evelyn. That's what you need Connor McCaffrey's ceiling to be. It's the guy who's going to hit a couple more threes than just one to win. But also have those assist numbers. Those assist numbers have to be up, way, way up. And if not, it's – I mean, we've seen the floor. The floor is all of last year for Connor McCaffrey. And I think – I think the ceiling this whole season overall is what we're going to continue to get from him because I just think he's way more comfortable in college basketball his second year, and I think that it goes a long way. Yeah, his assist-to-turnover ratio is one of the best in the nation still this year. He's not turning the ball over. He's creating offense for this team. And last night what he did when a lot of guys weren't doing it, he was crashing the boards hard last night. For a guard to get in there and get those big rebounds like he had, especially in the second half, he finished with seven boards last night. He wasn't afraid to go in there with those big white boys on Northwestern and go up there and get rebounds. He did it all the second half, and if he can do that, provide that body down low, get a couple rebounds, and then you know, literally get the rebound and start running. Because you know, we all know Iowa likes to run, and Connor McCaffrey can get him out running, get him in transition, get some easy hoops, and that's when that they went on that big run last night. They got in transition. Luca had some had like three or four straight possessions where they got him the ball. They couldn't double him because they were running, and Connor fed him the ball and he got easy baskets if he can do that i was going to continue to have success yeah i mean jerry any other thoughts on Connor mccaffrey's floor ceiling rest of this way his ceiling to me is lloyd christmas and i mean lloyd christmas in the sense that just when i thought you couldn't get any dumber (laughs) you go and do something like this and totally (laughs) redeem yourself such a great Dumb and dumber pull right there, Jerome. I love that. That is the Connor McCaffrey storyline and ceiling for the rest of the season. Every time he shoots, I scream, no, 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 no. And then somehow, once in a while, it goes in, and I just I am so excited for him because it's just it means so much to this offense and so much to this team to get anything offensively out of him as far as scoring. He's probably one of our best and most consistent free throw shooters. And if he continues to be aggressive by going to the rack, he's going to continue to get gravity. He'll be able to make those little dishes to Luca, to Kareener, to Pemsel, um, probably even Wheezy, too, who's getting more aggressive as the games go by. And that's going to continue to be his role on this team. Absolutely. All right, champ, who's next for you? Uh, I'm going to go with Joe Toussaint because I think Ryan Creener is a big-time bench performer for this team. So Joe Toussaint, mm-hmm. to me, he just has to get more consistent. I mean, we've seen games where his ceiling, where he's getting to the rack, he's creating, he's getting fouled. He's going up there being aggressive. That's the ceiling I have for Joe Tucson as a freshman. We know his outside jumper right now is not very pretty. He shouldn't really (laughs) even be shooting threes. He's a guy that should be slashing, getting to the paint, either creating for himself or getting open looks for teammates. If he does that, we'll be just fine. He's a true freshman. He's a great defender. He gets right up into point guards on the other end. If he can do that, 
That's his ceiling. His floor is kind of what we saw last night where he was ineffective. He was 0 for 5 from the field. He only played 16 minutes. Uh, he didn't really do much defensively, and and if he's going to do that, he's not going to play because there's guys that can step in, especially with C.J. Frederick back and Bakari Evelyn being able to handle the ball. He's going to get those minutes, especially because Toussaint's only a freshman and he's got to earn those minutes. So we've seen both ends of the spectrum this year. Hopefully we get a little more consistency out of uh, Mr. Toussaint. Do you really think Fran McCaffrey would sit a guy at this point? He's got no – he just needs people Can't. to be in there. Well, he did yesterday. He only played – I mean, Toussaint only played 16 minutes last night. So, I mean, when when guys like Bakari and CJ and everybody, especially in that backcourt, Wieskamp, I mean, if Toussaint's not doing the job, he's not going to get playing time. And we saw that last night. So, I hope he continues to play well and gets, you know, 20, 25 minutes a game. So, Jerry, let me set, set you up with this because – Here's what I think I would I would want to see from Joe Toussaint the rest of the way. Let him come off the bench. Let him be that spark off the bench to let him just let him go. He's gonna be fast, change of pace guy, play defense, be that oh, he he's better than this, his ceiling's better than this, but be that kind of that guy the energy guy off the bench. Where you're gonna you know, start a fast break or, or you know, create a steal, start a fast break and, and set up some offense that way. And just let him play through freshman mistakes if you need to, because like we just said, Fran needs to play guys. He needs bodies to be out there. So just let him, let him make mistakes out there. Let him learn from it, but don't just punish the guy because he's making mistakes. A hundred percent. He needs to continue to get about fifteen to twenty minutes, and he needs to just be out there while while Garza and Weezy carry the load. He needs to go out there and learn how to pick his spots. Right now. Joey Toussaint, the Toussaint-Assance is at like this puppy level, and I'm getting a dog next week, so I'm already like preparing myself for this. But he, he's a puppy, and sometimes he loses his way. Other times he's really good, and you're just so proud of him, but that's his floor right now. You just, it's just inconsistent. You don't know what you're going to get from an hour-to-hour basis. Sometimes he hits the witching hour after being benched, and that's when you get a chase-down block like you did in that Maryland game, and then all of a sudden he's hitting a three, and then everybody's looking around like, holy shit, maybe it's happening. The ceiling for Joe Toussaint is playing like a sophomore. And by playing by a sophomore, that is him picking his spots. That's him getting to the rack and finally finishing. That's him being like the guy that's going to go out there and fill it, like get the ball into the shooter's hands and know when he's supposed to go to the rack and take over and, and play back and just be a defensive stopper and a bulldog on the other end. Can he – I'll throw this NBA reference to to compare to. Can I know he, where you're going. Can he be our Marcus Smart? Can that, yes. can that be Joe Toussaint? <laughs> yes, I knew exactly where you are going, 100%. I mean, he – He's plays similarly. Marcus Smart's not a very good three-point shooter. He's a dog on defense, and he creates for his teammates, and his teammates love him. I think that by the time Joe Toussaint's graduating from Iowa, I know we're talking about this year in specific, he can be Iowa's Marcus Smart. I mean, I, I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't love hate it. it at all. Let's take a quick break, and then uh, we'll finish these uh, ceilings and floors for the Iowa men's basketball team uh, right after this. We are back. We are going through the Iowa basketball roster and basically sharing what we think our ceilings and floors are for these guys the rest of the way this season. Jerry, you're up next. Who do you want to talk about next? Um, let's go ahead. I'm going to shake it up. I'm ready to talk about Luca. Why, why are we burying the lead here? Yeah, well, we don't have to. I just threw it out at the beginning. <laughs> I mean, it was great. We're like, keeping people on their toes. Yeah, well, they're here. they went after the break here. They've earned it. They listened to a nice ad, help us out. What a, <laughs> this beautiful, beautiful ad, help the team. But now let's talk about Luca. Last night, and I want to know what your guys' opinion is on this. Last night during the Northwestern game, I tweeted out that I don't even, and this is something I'm still not even sure of 24 hours later, but Luca is giving me these Tyler Hansbro type vibes. And I, what I mean by that is that when he's on the block, he is unstoppable. He's too strong. He's too skilled. It's a guaranteed bucket. And even when he doesn't get it, he's going to the free throw line and he's nailing it down. He is the physical heartbeat of this team. When he's blowing kisses and getting jacked up, the entire bench is losing their minds. The coaches are feeding off of it. There is some psycho T in Luca Garza this year. And that to me is his ceiling as like a national player of the year type guy for not only this year, but next year as well. 
It's such a good comparison. It really, in every aspect of his game, it's so similar to Tyler Hansborough. Tyler Hansborough, when he first came to North Carolina, couldn't shoot a lick. He couldn't mm -hmm. shoot threes. He couldn't hit that baseline jumper. It's very similar to Luka at first. He, I mean, he would step out. He would try to shoot that. He wasn't very good. Last night, Luka's stepping out, hitting threes. He's hitting the 17-footer on the corner. And then down low, he's just a physical fucking beast down there. Nobody <laughs> can guard him. You're right. I mean, he gets scratched up. Tyler Hansborough would be bloodied half the games he played in at North Carolina, a la Luka Garza this year. It doesn't matter when he gets raked across the face. He's going to you know, get an and one or, at the worst, go to the free throw line hopefully knocked on a pair shot wonderfully from the free throw line last night that's the only thing I want to see a little more consistency yep. out of Luca this year is going to the free throw line and knocking big time free throws down especially late in games that Penn State game he missed a lot of late free throws that probably cost us the win but he I mean right now he's one of the best players in the nation He's on the Wooden Award list right now, on the Naismith list. I mean, he's the best player, I think, in the Big Ten this year, and he's just going to continue to be a beast. The ceiling is just so high for Luka this year that it's it's so fun to watch. Ken Palm has him as as the second-rated uh, or second-rated player of the year for right now in this uh, in college basketball, and he absolutely 100% deserves it. He's playing out of his mind. It's a spot-on comp player comp there, Jarrett, Tyler Hansborough at North Carolina. What he did to the, for that team is exactly what Luca's doing for the for the Hawkeyes right now. They're going four guards and, and a big man lineup. He's getting triple teamed, and he's still just putting on a display game after game. He's just putting this team on his back and and carrying. And it's it's been amazing to see his progression from last year to this year. And it just goes to show you what when dedicating yourself to this to to anything, what you can do. Yeah, he's in the best shape of his life. He talked about it after the game last night that the, the coaches of Iowa told him he wants they want him to run rim to rim, and that's exactly what he's doing. Last night was a perfect example of it. In that second half, he was sprinting down the court, getting seals down low and getting easy buckets before Northwestern can even come and double-team him because that's all they did the first half after Lucas started the game with 10 straight points. Every time he touched the ball, they double-teamed him. They made him get rid of the ball. The second half, he was getting into the offense so quick that they couldn't bring the double-team, and if they did, mm -hmm. he would create fouls and get to the free-throw line. 27 points last night in only 24 minutes. Got in a little foul trouble, but that's really the first time all year I can remember Luca having to sit extended time because of getting into foul trouble. He's used to be really bad at that. His freshman year would get into foul trouble all the time. Now it's just a continuous improvement on that end. I mean, I remember last year watching him run up and down the court, and he could barely go up and down the court twice without looking like completely exhausted. And I think he's completely changed, and I think because of that, champ, he's not in foul trouble as much anymore. And he just see, I mean, he's going. He's going to take Iowa as far as Iowa can go this year on the, on the basketball court. Just, and I know moving forward, this team can be a lot different next year and the year after that. But right now, with the bodies available to this team, I was going as far as Luca Garza is going to go, and I think we're going to continue to see Luca carry this team to, to exceed all of our expectations. No, absolutely. The only thing is, I don't want any more of these three rebound games. I know Northwestern he demolished them, but three rebounds is not enough. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, the big guy—you're only the big guy on the court for the team. You should rebound a few more. Well, and the pro like Northwestern was beating the hell out of us on the block. Like that's not Luca. Like you're the leader of this team. You need to go in there and you need to make sure that they stop that. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, we'll switch gears here. We'll go back down to to some role players here. C.J. Frederick. Uh, he came not back. a role player. Well, he shouldn't be a role player, and I think that's his ceiling, right? His ceiling's not being a role player, but I think if you look at the Ken Palm categories, he's a role player. He's not, he, but he needs to get more involved in the offense, especially towards the, the later half of this year. And I think that's his ceiling is going to be that third banana to Wieskamp and Garza the rest of the way. That he's he's the the Chris Bosch uh, on this big three uh, the rest of the way is that's his ceiling, at least in my eyes. I love, yeah, that's a great comparison. He came in last night. I, w I was at you know at the game watching warmups, and I wasn't on Twitter at that point, and so I had no idea he was even coming to try to play this game. And then all of a sudden, I see him yamming in warmups, and it got me jacked. 
Then he came in, he starts hitting threes. It looked like he never, I mean, first couple shots of the game, it looked he looked a little rusty. Then all of a sudden, boom, he's in there for 30-plus minutes making threes, creating offense for this team, playing well on the defensive end too. I mean, he's a, he's a big-time, as a true fr- or a, a redshirt freshman, a big-time player for this team, and he's doing a hell of a job. And I think, yeah, that third wheel, that Chris Bosch role is perfect for him. All right, Jay. What, what are your thoughts on, on CJ Frederick? Uh, he's more like I said. He's more than a role player already. The guy just came had a stress fracture in his foot. Comes out and plays thirty one minutes. Yes, his shot was a little short to begin with, but he hit some big time threes. And to go out there against Northwestern, your first game back, and have eleven points, five assists, and two steals, and thirty one minutes of actual basketball when. Iowa needed him more than any other time in this entire season is ginormous. And the game that sticks out to me the most is that Cincinnati game. I don't quite remember what his three-point percentage was, but I know that he went off for 20-plus. Iowa doesn't win that game without him on the floor. He is the third banana right now, and he has the potential to be the Ray Allen and Chris Bosh for this Iowa team. Chris Bosh more in the sense of like he was a third banana for Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. But yes, he's that Ray Allen that... That type of third banana, absolutely. Yep. All right. Uh, Champ, who, who do you want to talk about next? So we have two remaining guys. I, I will let Jer hit up Wheezy because I know he loves him. I will go to Ryan Creener because I love Ryan, and I think he's a key glue member of this team. We talked about this before this season. When mm-hmm. Ryan Creener comes into games, it just seems like he finds ways to create offense for this team. Last night, again, he comes in for Luka because Luka got in a little foul trouble. He's he's playing that top-of-the-key role in that zone that Northwestern was playing. And not only was he scoring out of that role, but he was creating offense for others, getting, getting guys open looks, passing out of that role. And, and Ryan Creener is just – he is what he is. We know what he's not going to play more than 15, 20 minutes a game but he can stretch the floor as a big man. He can also get down low and get that little baby hook that's like his patented little shot down there. And he can score you 15 points on a night when you need you know, a third guy to step up if shots aren't falling like Wheezy last night. Wasn't shooting very well. I know he got to the foul line a lot, but Kreener provided that. He scored in double digits, got him a big 10 points last night. And that, that's the consistency that I've always loved about Ryan Kreener throughout his Hawkeye career, and he's just continuing to do that this season. I mean, you hit the nail on the head, man. He's He just finds ways to contribute, and that's it's hard to have a ceiling, hard to have too big of a gap between your floor and your ceiling when you're just coming off the bench and finding ways to contribute. So, I mean, you're, what you see what you're going to get out of Ryan Kreener. He's going to find ways to contribute and make an impact, and he's just going to keep doing that. Jerry, anything else to add on Ryan Kreener? No, yeah, the uh, he gives me like I don't remember if it's if it was Mason or Marshall Plumley, but he's a Plumley brother. He's just one of those guys that's just like, eh, you know, he comes in there and like doesn't really like you're not really excited to have him out there, but he just comes out. He's a kind of a bully. He makes some big time plays, and then he gets back out, and Luca comes back in. And you're not afraid to put him <laughs> in your starting lineup if you need to. If a team has two good bigs. And and you need Ryan Creener to go out there and start. You can do that, and you wouldn't. You're not like losing a lot by starting Ryan Creener. But obviously, his role is great coming off the bench as Iowa's, you know, sixth or seventh guy. But yeah, you can put him in there in your, in your starting lineup if needed. I can't wait to see who other Duke or North Carolina players Jerry can make comps to with this current Iowa team with. <laughs> the Plumley brothers. It's a good pull. He's a much better shooter than any of those brothers. So how about like a Bill Weddington comparison? He would I feel hit. like Mason Plumley was a decent shooter. And nah, the Plumleys weren't great shooters. They were bangers, but I I don't remember any of them being like actual good shooters. I'm with Champ on that one. All right, Jerry, wrap it up wrap it up with uh, with your boy Wheezy. Wheezy F baby, please save the motherfucking baby. <laughs> this dude what is. What the hell is that? You got to listen to Lil Wayne? <laughs> Champ Strictly a hootie guy. Yeah, you know you know, I'm not in, in with the times, bro. Hootie all day, every day. Well, you're missing out on some quality rap music with Lil Wayne, <laughs> especially back in the day. But regardless, Wheezy didn't do he didn't need to do anything against Northwestern the other night. Everything he did against Maryland was everything we could have wanted him more. 
26 points, 9 of 16 shooting. The dude took over the game. That's who he needs to be. He needs to be that slasher. He needs to hit those open shots. He's the leader of this team with Luka Garza. I I can't say enough about this kid. Like, honestly, if he can just figure out how to be what we thought Jared Utoff was supposed to be, then Iowa, like we've mentioned multiple times before, like, yes, this is pipe dream, pie in the sky type shit. But if he's able to figure it out to be that consistent type player, Iowa's going to win a lot of basketball games. And the next three games is where he needs to figure out that pacing of how to turn it on and how to keep it on so that Iowa, the remainder of the season, can actually be ready and and able to go more than 11 and 9 in the Big Ten uh, Conference. Yeah, I mean, he, he, we've we've alluded to it all up to, up until the point. He just he needs to find that aggressive, that fu mentality where he's just going to go get his own bucket. Do that consistently. It's what we want Jared Utah to do. Aaron White had it. He didn't have the ability to, to knock down shots as well, mm-hmm. but he had that mentality. Uh, it's just he needs to have that combination of Aaron White, Jared Utah into one person, and that can take him so much further and take this team so much further. Yeah. I mean, if he does that, this team's going to be damn good. And I mean, they've, he, he showed, he showed it like Jer said against Maryland and they absolutely obliterated Maryland in that game. And that was Wheezy's best game of the season. So if he continues to do that, him and Garza, I think I read today, they're like the fifth or sixth, leading uh, one-two combo and points per game in the entire nation. If he continues to be aggressive, they're only going to climb those rankings and provide, you know, a solid, like, 40 points every game. If you can get four – that's another number I would like to see. If you can get 40 points from those two guys, I think Iowa wins 85 to 90% of the time if those guys can get you a 40 between the two of them. So we have Bakari Evelyn threes making one a game, and uh, Wheezy and Garza hitting forty points combined. Those are the stats to look out the re- for the rest of the way. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'll keep track of the forty point games, and Jer will keep track of the Bakari threes. What do you Done. got, Jer? Well, so Champ threw me off because he didn't understand the Lil Wayne lyric, and I meant to make one <laughs> big key ceiling point. Okay, Wheezy is very capable of being our Dante Divincenzo. Ooh. What he was able to do in the tournament that year for Villanova, Dante DiVincenzo was never supposed to go to the NBA that year. He no. was never supposed to have a moment like that. He was supposed to be just a nice player like Wheezy, athletic white guy that is kind of just, when you look at him, you don't think he's going to do the things he does, but then he does it and you're like, holy shit, this guy is way better than I ever gave him credit for. And that now, could he's be... con- now he's contributing for the best team record-wise in the NBA. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a great comp right there. That's his ceiling for the rest of the year. I want to see it. I want to see that very much. All right. So, I think Champ, you hit the net. You kind of alluded to this a little bit with Garza and, and Weezy being such a do, such a dominant one-two force on offense. And I think that's what really is going to save the Iowa season the rest of the way. Is having two guys you can rely on to score is going to help win some games down the stretch that you need to win. If I look at Ken Palm, he is Iowa projected to go eleven and nine in conference this year. That's Eight more wins and six more losses the rest of the way. So using that as your basis level, what is the ceiling? What what is the if Iowa hits at all cylinders, what is their final conference record going to be? And if they fail, what's going to cause them to fail? And where can that floor end up being for Iowa champ or for Jerry? We'll start with you. So I'm going through the rest of the schedule right now. Six to three, seven and three. Seven and four, eight and four, nine and four. Do you want to guess the lines in these games? I feel like nine and five the rest of the way seems right. As your Which ceiling, put, or that's what you think they're going to do? That's the, as the ceiling. So that puts them at a little, that puts them at the, what is that, 12 and eight yes, the rest of the way. One, It's <laughs> one game better than what Ken Palm's projecting. So your Correct. ceiling's really not too much better than what analytics are saying. Yeah, I just I, I think I, I'm being completely honest with myself going through the rest of the schedule. Uh, the, the way the season's gone so far in the Big Ten, it's, you, you protect home court and you go on the road and it's extremely difficult to win there. Um, Iowa has some pretty decent 
teams, not decent in the sense that they're good, but decent teams in terms of winning, coming to Carver-Hawkeye Arena with Rutgers. I think they can easily beat Wisconsin. They can nip, they better nip Nebraska this time. They better beat Penn State at home and Purdue. Like Those are some really good matchups for them that I think they're going to be able to capitalize on. And then if from there, if you can just win three more games on the road of the remainder, I, I think that's a very capable ceiling that puts them right in the pack to make the tournament. And from there, hopefully you get hot. So let's also take the flip side of that. What could this record look like if things go south? Ugh. <coughs> I I don't think it goes that bad. I think then you take a game away from Ken Palm, so just make them ten and ten. All right, that's that's not too bad. If things go south and they still find a way to go ten and ten in conference, more and, props to them, Champ. What what's your ceiling and what's your floor projections? The rest so of the I kind of went through the schedule here. We have uh, fourteen games left, right? That's the uh, total. I think. I think they can go 10 and 4. That's going to be my ceiling. I see the only real, like, I, there's like two on this schedule that are like for sure losses to me. And that's at Michigan State and at Maryland, because I think Maryland's going to be hyped to try to, you know, get back at us and win that game. But, I mean, they, they play, you know, at Purdue, I understand, at Indiana, at Minnesota, at Illinois. So, if they can win a couple of those games and just clear out their home schedule, which I think is very doable. Jer talked about a lot of the home games. I know we have Michigan this weekend. That's a big one. If we can get that win and get on a nice little roll, I think that's going to help. I think 10-4 and four is the ceiling. And I'm with Jer. I think it's 7-7 seven and seven the rest of the way is the floor Six and eight at the very worst. I don't see them losing, you know, more than 11 games in conference, being nine and 11 at the very worst. 10 and 10, I think, is a more realistic floor. And I think if Iowa goes 10 and 10, unless they have like really bad losses, I think if they're 10 and 10 in conference with their non conference wins that they've gotten, I think they're still a tournament team, especially if they can get a win or two in the Big Ten tournament. I think that still makes them a very. Uh, solid tournament team, you know, an eight or nine seed at the very worst. We'll get to the Big Ten Conference in a second, but if I look through Ken Palm here, it's almost like he's taking the easy way out, basically saying I was going to win all their home games and lose all their road games the rest of the way, and that's how kind of how it's going to work out. But if you look at the ceiling here, I'm going to kind of go even more optimistic than Champ. From a ceiling perspective, if these guys do all the things that we alluded to this entire this entire episode, why can't they win at Purdue, who's shown they can stumble at home. Why can't they win at Indiana, who just lost to Rutgers tonight on Wednesday mm-hmm. night here? They could beat Minnesota in Minnesota, and they can mm-hmm. beat Illinois in Champaign. That's four more wins on top of the eight you have at home the rest of the way. That's 12 and what that two. Be, 12 and two. Yeah. If things <laughs> all break right, if that's the ceiling, if this team is firing on all cylinders, why not? And if things go south... It might be what you lose to Ohio State at home. You lose to, to Penn Michigan, State at home, probably Michigan too. I mean, it, it's probably worse than seven and seven. It's probably more like five and nine the rest of the way if, if things go really really south. But to me, I think there's a lot of fifty fifty games. Yes, going on the road as we've seen throughout the Big Ten the rest this whole season, winning on the road in the Big Ten is not easy. It's almost it, you're more likely to lose. I mean. By a, by a large margin, even if no matter how good you are. Uh, but if if this team figures it all out and puts it all together, there's one at Northwestern yet last night. Yeah. I'm just saying that the ceiling can be very, very high for this team. I it think. is nice that they have eight remaining home games and only six on the road. And the next three at home is very – I mean, I don't – I don't remember a lot of uh, time in the schedule where you have three straight home games in Big Ten. That's pretty rare. It's pretty nice because you also hopefully get these students for at least the second two of those home, or the last two of those home games, uh, coming back from winter break, get some student section love in the Hawks' nest, uh, and maybe a little bit of life to, to support this team. But all right, guys, but before we go, your Big Ten kind of confidence level going into the rest of the season. How many teams are getting in the tournament, and where do we, or how, basically go any way you want it. How confident are you in the Big Ten heading into? February and March, the rest of the season for for postseason play. Uh, Jerry, we'll start with you. 
I'm the most confident. I mean, I'm looking at the bracketology right now. There is 11 teams projected to make the NCAA tournament from the Big Ten. The next closest is the Big East with seven, and then five for the SEC, five for the Big 12. The Big Ten has a lot of solid basketball teams that are all feasting on each other. You protect home court, you go on the road, and you hope you sneak a couple away. DC, you just mentioned it. If Iowa can go and win that Indiana-Minnesota back-to-back away game in three days, if they can figure out a way to win both those two games, they're going to actually probably be closer to your projection for the ceiling. Big Ten overall, though, this is a great conference with some really solid basketball teams, and there's a matchup almost every night that is much-watched basketball because these teams are just so close and competitive together that it's creating a really great atmosphere and a really good pub for the the, the actual conference. Do you think the Big Ten breaks its national title curse? No, probably not. I like Auburn a lot. I like Auburn a lot, a lot. All right. Well, Jerry's already got his prediction out, out there. Champ, what, what's your Big Ten thoughts going into uh, the latter half of this season? I, as I look at the standings, I know Jerry just said 11 teams are projected. I think 12 Big Ten teams can make the tournament. I think Minnesota, if they have a good, strong end to their season, can make a case to be the 12th team of the Big Ten to make the tournament. And I don't remember a year – a conference even came close to getting 12 teams out of 14 in the tournament. That would be absolutely insane, but I think it's possible. I don't know if they're going to win the national title because I don't see one dominant team in this conference. I see exactly. a lot of really good teams. I can see, like say, like six teams out of the Big Ten making the Sweet 16, but then not having enough in the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight or even Final Four to get to a national title. But I can see, like I said, uh, six teams. That would be my ceiling. Let's get six Big Ten teams out of the 16 left, and then we'll see where the chips fall. Maybe they get some favorable matchups, and yeah, maybe they do break that curse. But to me, there's not one dominant team in this conference. I think the conference winner is going to have four or five losses at the end of the season. I don't think there's going to be anyone, you know, going, you know, 18 and three or whatever, or 18 and two or 17 and three. I think it's going to be more like 15 and 15 is going to win the con- 15 and five is going to be your conference winner. And that, that seems to. I agree with both of you guys. I think the Big Ten's a very, very deep conference. I think they're beating each other up, evidenced by. Michigan and Ohio State both being under 500 in conference play, but both ranked in the top 25. Um, just going to show you how tough this league is the rest of this this whole season. Um, I also tend to agree with you guys that I don't think the Big Ten is going to be the national championship national champion just because, like you guys said, I don't think there's actually a truly dominant team. But that's kind of what makes the tournament great is whoever can kind of get hot that let for those four three or four weeks in the season. Yeah, for sure. And just speaking about Minnesota, I just looked real quick at the score. They're about to beat Penn State tonight, up five with about 10 seconds left. That's a big win for them. And fucking 12 teams could literally make the tournament out of this conference. It'll be something to see when conferences used to only be 12 teams, and then we'll be literally the entire conference getting in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, anything else before we wrap the show this week? Uh, Pat Carver on Friday, Hawkeye fans. Students, get your ass back to school. Make it a loud atmosphere. It's a big game Friday nighter against Michigan. I'm excited to watch it, and I I just want the atmosphere to be electric in Carver, not just for the Michigan game, but for the rest of this season. I I echo that 100%. For Champ, for Jer, I'm DC. We'll talk to you guys again next week. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Garza's going for 50. Trick or treat, Iowa City! If you don't love it, leave it. USA, number one.